Thank you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. excited to get to be here with you today. We're in week three of our series, The Exchange Remix, and it's remix because we've actually done this series before. However, it was right as COVID was gearing up where we went from that like that whole phase of like, what is COVID? That's not a thing. We're not, that's not happening. Why are people buying toilet paper? Maybe I should buy toilet paper. Oh my gosh, we're in lockdown, right? Like when that happened, I was actually ready to preach this message to you the weekend that we went into lockdown. So this message has been 16 months in the making. So by now, hopefully it'll be good, but we'll see. But before we get into that, I just have to do a little bit of family business and that you may have noticed the ginormous pillar on your way in today. That is because connect groups are about to kick off. Okay, I don't know about you, but during COVID for me, Every single one of the relationships I've had has been, to, has been redefined. Even my spouse, my kids, we had to figure out how we're all going to do all of the things in a 1,500 square foot apartment or 1,200, whatever it is. Like every relationship in my life shifted and changed. And as we're coming out of COVID, hopefully, right, as we're coming out of that, all of the relationships may look different for you. And I don't know if you've experienced one of these moments recently where you've been driving in the car and thinking, oh, there's a lot going on right now. And, and I just don't know who to call right now. If, you, if you've even thought that, let me just tell you, connect groups are, couldn't come at a more perfect time for you. This is where you get to actually invest in relationships and have someone to call when you don't know who to call and talk about it, right? This could be the game changer for you. And let me just tell you, make sure you sign up. There's a QR codes out there. Scan it. Talk to people that are out there. Find the group that works for you. Find your people. But don't just sign up. Don't just show up. Invest. Actually invest in your group. This is your chance to have life-changing relationships. Not just show up at church and be like, high five, fist bump, you look great today. But here's what's actually going on in my world. And I need some people to do life with me. Can you do that for us, church? All right, all right. Well, let's dive in to this series on Romans, the great Christian manifesto, Paul's greatest writing, huge theological revelations about who God is, what his plan is for his salvation. And all Paul, who wrote Romans, wants us to do is grow in Christian maturity. We talked about the human condition versus the God condition in week one, and and Pastor Kerry set you up for understanding why Paul had to write this great Christian manifesto over food and an awkward little thing called circumcision. We're going to talk about that today. They give me all the awkward topics. They just are like, hey, later we're going to talk about something awkward, and they're like, Pastor Girlie would be great for that week. So here I am. We're going to talk about it today. But Paul sets out to address these two opposing cultures that are happening in the church. And they're trying to do church together, but they have whole different ideas about what really matters. Paul tells the Jews that their pharisaical pharisaical circles of adding to the scripture is missing the point. And the Gentiles, which is just the fancy word for the people that didn't grow up with the Jewish heritage, their circles of subtraction 
subtraction or missing the point too. So it culminating in chapter 3, verse 23, 24, where Paul says, For all have sinned. You've all missed it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So today we're going to dive into how the Jews missed it, how the Gentiles missed it, and maybe, just maybe, you and I are missing it today. Let's pray. God, we just ask that you would show up in this place like you already are. God, would you just make my words clear? Would you just allow people to grab on to the hope and the grace that's found in you as we just talk about the best part of who you are, the grace? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Well, I just need to, Pastor Kerry told you a little bit about who I am. He mentioned that I have Scott, um, that we moved with our son, Tyler. Tyler was three years old when we moved here. And let me just tell you, when Tyler was three, I'm so embarrassed to admit this, I thought I was like the world's best parent, okay? Like, I was like, I got this parenting thing on lockdown. Like, I, this is, this is so embarrassing. I actually thought that if you needed to baby-proof your home, you, like, didn't, you didn't know how to parent, okay? <laughs> like, baby-proofing was for, like, the people that couldn't figure out how to discipline their kids, okay? And, uh, like, for real, Tyler's nine months old, and he would, like, go towards the outlet, and I would be like, no, sir, that is a no, no, you are not to touch that. And Tyler would go, and he would cry, and then he would never go near it again. And I was like, that's right. That's right. I am amazing at this. And how many people in the room have kids? How many of you have more than one child? Keep your hands up. All right. If you have more than one child, you already know where this story is going, right? A couple years later, six to be exact, well, six years later from Tyler, I brought Dean into the world. And some of you know about Dean. He's like equal parts chaos and equal parts joy. It is a blast. We are all extras in his movie. Like we, the Truman Show is happening. It's about Dean and we are all the supporting cast. And he is so much fun. But the, those whole concept of like, don't you do that? And him being like, great, never going to do that again. Nope. That is not happening, not happening. I realized so fast that Tyler's behavior had a lot less to do about my parenting and just had everything to do with Tyler's just built differently, okay? I had missed it continuously for years, like really thought I was great at it. And we're going to talk about how the Jewish people like missed it continually for years. I know you have a place in your life that you've done it, so no judgment around here. We're not going to judge the Jewish people as a whole, but let's talk about it. I always wondered, like, what happened there? Because you, you had, like, one job, right? The Messiah is coming. You are on the lookout for it, and yet somehow you missed it. Like, like not just missed it, like, crucified him, okay? Like, I, we're kind of making light of it, but, but really, like, what happened here? There had to be an entire cultural thing happening that really inherently set you up to just miss the Messiah. You would think with all the sacrifices and all of the hoops that you had to jump through that, like, this grace and freedom that Jesus had to offer would just be so welcomed, but it wasn't. It wasn't what they were looking for. They were inherently 
predisposed to think that their identity was found in their birthright because they were one of Abraham's people. We're going to talk about Abraham today. They were one of Abraham's people. Your identity, your birthright is actually what gets you in. And then all of the rules and all of the things you have to follow is what sets you apart and helps everyone else know that you are in. So this is what happens, and Jesus is really a big problem for that ideology, okay? Because it's Jesus that looks Nicodemus in the eye who says, what must I do to be saved? And, Nicodem- and Jesus says, you must be born again. Well, first of all, Jesus weird. Like, that's a weird thing to say, right? But actually, it was offensive because he was saying, your birthright is no good here. Your birthright is not the point. You are missing it. The point is your heart. The point is your heart. You actually have to identify with being an outsider. You may or may not know this, but the practice of baptism actually existed before John the Baptist. And it was how Gentiles, people who did not grow up Jewish, they would have to go through baptism to become Jewish. So in order for the Jewish people to accept this baptism that Jesus talked about, they had to identify with being on the outside. Like, just a game changer. So I don't know what you came in here looking for today, but the Jewish people were looking for a vindicator. They're looking for someone to prove to the whole world that they'd been right all along, that they were God's chosen people. And Jesus came to maybe do something a little bit different today and show off who Jesus is and how good he is. So I don't know what you came in here looking for today. I don't know what your faith background is. But I just want to invite you to look with fresh eyes at Romans chapters 4 through 6 for those of you who really really need to know exactly where we are and want to read the homework later. That's what you're going to read, Romans 4 through 6. But I just want to invite you to look with fresh eyes at what might be happening here and what Jesus really does have to offer. You know, we are, when Paul writes Romans, in Romans 59, 80, we're we're only like 30 years into the church, like, being a thing, right? Like, Jesus came to, he changed the game, and and Pastor Kerry talked about how the Jews are kicked in and out of Rome. And so we have two diverging cultures that are trying to do church together, and they don't really know what they're doing. And even if we didn't have these two polarizing cultures trying to do church together, they've only been doing this for 30 years, So we're, like, about ready to have the midlife crisis for the church, okay? Like, I mean, I don't know about you, that that 30 seemed good for that to me. But Paul has to come in, and, and there's this fight between the law, all the rules, and why do we need the law or the rules? Let's just do away with it. And Paul says, you're gonna miss it again. You're gonna miss it again. It's by grace and grace alone. You know, there's a famous story about C.S. Lewis who is walking into a room and there's this great theological debate happening where these guys are comparing religions and discussing, like, what really sets Christianity apart? What is different about Christianity than any other religion? And C.S. Lewis, like, they're having this really intense debate and he goes, oh, that's easy, grace. It's grace. And grace is the one thing that we have, and it's the one thing you have to capture. If you're going to call yourself a Christ follower, you have to capture that it's by grace and grace alone. Grace is what happens when we don't get what we deserve. 
when we're gifted freedom from a consequence, you know, we love grace for ourselves, but we suddenly really have a problem when others get it, right? You can be driving down the road and someone comes flying around you, and what do you say? Like, where's the police officer when you need them, right? Like, we don't want that guy to get any grace and to have his moment. But when we're running late for soccer practice, all of a sudden we need some grace right there, right? You know, we naturally don't know how to comprehend this grace that is something for nothing. We tell our kids, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. You are naturally drawn to contracts and karma, cause and effect. But Romans 4, 4 through 5 says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul explains in detail how complete and perfect Jesus' sacrifice is, that we don't have any part to play and earning this free gift of grace. It's not the system that's messed up. It's how we respond to the system. When we follow the rules, we expect payment in full. And when we don't, we feel shame. So today we're going to talk about three ways we accept the gift of grace. First of all, we accept grace by faith. Grace by faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, grace by faith. You guys are good at that. You know, in this fight in the church with law and who needs the law and who needs the rules, he's like, it's grace, but it's by faith. Romans 4, 16 in the message version says, this is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God in his way and then simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. For Abraham is father of us all. He's not our racial father. That's reading the story backward. He's our faith father. You know, I find that we'll so easily choose a broken system that we can control over one that gives us grace that we can't control. There's something in our human nature, the human condition, that constantly drifts right back to control. Even the very first glimpse of sin we see in the world comes because we wanted to be like God and control the rules and the outcome and know all the things, good, bad, or ugly. You know, Dean, the chaotic joy I mentioned earlier, he just started playing basketball, and don't you worry, he is like 10 out of 10 at basketball. He is going into the NBA. No one has ever, ever played basketball as good as him. He is also not that great at basketball. So both are true. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be great later. He's just never played before. None of them are good, okay? And Dean's method of playing basketball, his first game, he's so excited. This is going to be great. He's going to do amazing. He's going to make all the baskets. And the, his teammate is, like, dribbling up the field. Or it's not even a field. I'm a soccer player. I apologize. He's dribbling up the court. And Dean thinks no matter who on his team has the ball, the best thing that needs to happen is he needs the ball, actually. So instead of doing anything else, he has to run and stand two feet. Like, Dean is here. Well, okay, the guy with the ball is here. And Dean is going, pass me the ball. Pass me the ball. Give it to me. Like, he, in his mind, if I have the ball, if I have control, only good things can happen. Right? At least I want to be in control of my destiny, right? 
we do that in our everyday lives, even when it's a terrible idea, even when we know it leads to death, even when we know if we got all the consequences for our actions, it wouldn't be good. But we still ask for the ball. We still want to take everything into our own hands. We don't know how to accept this grace by faith. You know, we conquer control with an Abrahamic faith. You know, let's catch you up on who Abraham is. It's actually the founding father of the Jewish faith. And God picked Abraham out. And he said, you, you, I want to do everything with you. I want, you're going to have so many descendants that you won't even be able to count them. And I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. This is what I want to do with you. And Abraham, who was way past childbearing age, like, is like, mm, I don't know how that's going to work here. But God says, I got this, right? You know, and then God said, but if you're going to be my people, there's going to be some things that are going to set you apart. Remember when I said we we're going to talk about that circumcision situation? Yeah, it's awkward, right? But here's the thing. Abraham wasn't already following the rules when God picked him out. Like, Abraham didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to get circumcised today. <laughs> Today is the day. <laughs> like, like that didn't happen. I just lost all the men in the room. You're like, I can't with that. We can't move on, move on right now. You know, following the rules aren't what makes us God's people. The law and the rules reveals our need for Jesus. That's the whole point of the gospel message. The rules can never be more important than Jesus. The, they just point out our need for Jesus and Jesus' salvation that we receive by faith. God said, I choose you. And here's the best theological breakdown I can give you of Abraham's response. Okay. Okay, I believe you. God said, I choose you. And Abraham said, okay, that was his whole job. His whole job is to say, okay, I believe you. Against impossible odds. This is my favorite scripture about Abraham. Romans 4, 18 through 21. And hope he believed against hope. There's a lot of things i got to hope for in my life that are hoping against hope. I don't know about you. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. Here's my favorite part. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is my favorite part. He grew strong in his faith before he saw the promise. That is my message to you today. I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know what you're begging and hoping God will do. But now's your chance to go strong in your faith. Against no matter what odds you see, no matter what the visible odds are, that's what an Abrahamic faith is. You know, Romans says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, if you've been having a faith crisis lately, I would ask you, are you listening to the word of God? Are you spending time hearing what it says? Because if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, then we actually have something we can do. This is where you get to take the ball in your hands. We have something you can do to actually change your faith level is you can spend time in the word of God. 
I just wonder what you're looking at that might be affecting your faith. What odds on the outside are you letting corrode your faith? Because Abraham had every reason to believe that there's no way God could do that. But he said, okay, I believe you. So we accept grace by faith. And secondly, we accept that we are chosen. You know, we have this natural drift towards obscurity, right? To fade into the shadows. Because we have a hard time believing that we could be chosen. You know, Abraham is the best example of what God wants to do for you. He chose him out of obscurity. And he did that for you. You know, Romans says, while you were still a moron. Wait, that's not what it says. That's the girly paraphrase. Paul was way better of a writer than I am. Um, that's how I identify. Romans 5.8 says, but God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we fight the drift towards obscurity by choosing him back, by sacrificing. You know, when I think about what God sees in me, if we're really like going to choose and, and we're going to put me on the pedestal and we're going to do the readout of who I am. And it's like, okay, she's a little bit too much a lot of the time. And she's super intense. She's right so much, but she thinks she's right even when she's wrong. And she always fights with her husband about it and at all the wrong times. And she lives this life and she runs after things, but sometimes too hard. And, and she has friends and, and sometimes she doesn't text him back and you know, all these things. Okay, like if we're doing the full readout. But God says, I can work with that. I choose that. I made that. And he says that about you. I don't know what your readout says. I don't know what your shame readout says. I don't know what you've done, what you haven't done, what you thought about, what you did yesterday, what you dreamed of, what you daydreamed of, what you didn't do that you were supposed to do today. God chooses that. He says, I choose that. Out of obscurity, no matter who else is around, I still choose you. And when I think about that kind of choosing... I want to give it all. I've responded to that by wanting to give it all. And that is not popular. There's no Instagram meme out there that says, you just don't worry about protecting yourself because the world will do that. You can give it all. It's fine. There is no Instagram meme that says that. But you get to do that with God. You know, I was thinking about the woman with the alabaster jar. You may have heard the story that she is somehow gets into the room where Jesus is. And I, I don't know where she had to run to find her alabaster jar because it probably wasn't sitting out because if she had a child like Dean in her house, like this valuable thing, like she had to go find it, right? Because it was hidden somewhere. All the moms know about that. She had to go find it and she ran and she got into the room where Jesus was and she poured it out on Jesus's head. And no one thought that was a good idea. No one. They're like, what is happening here? Do you know how much money that was? That could have been sold and given to the poor. Like, what a waste of a sacrifice. What a waste. And Jesus says, the poor you'll have with you always. 
that I'm only here for a little while. He says that was worth it. And let me tell you today that there is no sacrifice of your time, no sacrifice of your gifts, no sacrifice of your treasure that is, is not worth it. It is worth it to pour it out for Jesus. In fact, it finds the fullest potential possible when poured out for him. When I think about that kind of choosing, I'm like, I will give it all. I'm going to give it everything. And I don't care if Instagram thinks that's a great idea because I have this God who loves me and chose me out of security and I will not do nothing. I will respond and I'll give it all. That's who I want to be because I can't help but choose him back. You know, if we have grace by faith and we are chosen, there's always somebody that hears that story. Like in a third grade class, there's always a little Johnny that says, um, so if grace wins, does it even matter if we keep on sinning? Does it even matter? Like someone who's always gotten to like the wrong conclusion, right? It wasn't Dean. I would say it was Dean, but he stopped listening a long time ago. Um, but... There's someone that always gets to the wrong conclusion. So you ask, like, does it even matter? Does sin even matter? And Paul is so glad you asked. He wrote an entire chapter about it in chapter 6. He says simply, no, don't keep going on sinning. Don't respond to this grace that has been poured out onto your life by sinning. We get true freedom. This is the third thing we get to accept, is we accept true freedom. Because now... We can. Now we can. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Goes on a little bit later to say, As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing that you're proud of now. Where did it get you? A dead end. No, this is the paradox of freedom. When we do what we want, we think we're winning, we feel shame, and we're not proud of anything that comes out of that. But when we submit ourselves to who Jesus is, we get everything. You know, you, you know this and you understand it because when you're eating right and working out, you feel great. In fact, you say, I feel better than I've ever felt. You understand this to be true, but we have this human condition, this drift back to sin. Somehow you're more free when you yield to the Holy Spirit. This is where you get to become the person you are always meant to be. Some of you maybe have never even met that person. You know, Romans mentions that slavery to God is self-actualizing. Let's look at it in 617. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Even just saying the idea of slaves of righteousness, some of you are like, I don't like that. Slavery to God, why would we just choose one or the other. And God's saying, Paul is saying, that's actually the secret, is that you're always going to be a slave to something. 
You get to choose your slavery. You know, the body and your desires, they are great slaves. They're terrible masters. That will lead to nothing. We don't like this idea of slavery to God. You know, and if you don't like it, that's okay. Paul is not concerned that you don't like it. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's good. But he says that real freedom comes in submission to Jesus. You know, last week, um, the tire pressure light came on in my car. And they have all, they've done cool things with cars, by the way, now. Because before, like, I'm not great at car maintenance. So not a strength of mine. And I would have just, like, ended up in a bad place. But the tire pressure light comes on. And even tells you, like, which spot on the car you need to work on. Which is great. Because that was what I needed to even give me the muster up the strength to decide to go figure out how to air my tires up on my own. Hadn't done it before. I would not have done it if any of you were in the car with me because I would have hidden the fact that I did not know how to do this. But I went on my own so I could give this a try. And I aired that baby up. I knew what was, I was like, this is great. They take credit card machines in that now. Like, just so you know, like, I don't know why that matters. Um, but I, was ex I came with quarters. <laughs> like, I, I'm old school. I obviously haven't done this in a long time. And um, I aired up the, the tire successfully, I might add. Um, and then I checked it, looked good, okay, I'm winning, and I go on with life. And a little while later, the tire pressure light comes back on. And I'm like, oh, what is happening? Like, we filled it up, what's going on? And, and Scott and I decided that, um, that there's something wrong with the tire pressure sensor, right? Like, the audacity, right? That, that no way, no way is there another problem or that all of this technology in the car knows better than I do. Um, definitely there is nothing wrong. And we're like Googling, like I watch YouTube videos on how to reset the tire pressure light because 100% there is something wrong with the sensor. And then I wake up the next morning and the rim is sitting on the ground of the car. Like, like there's 100% nothing wrong with said tire pressure sensor. Just the, the car had a, a, a screw in the tire, so it went flat. And I just wonder, I just wonder what warning lights have been going off in your life that you've been ignoring and maybe even having the audacity to say that's not the problem. You know, there's this idea of obedience from the heart. Obedience is a response, not a requirement. The free gift of grace, that's what we've been talking about this whole time. But obedience is a response. I wonder if there's some of you that might need to install some protection software on your phone or your computer to keep you from watching things you shouldn't be watching. And girls, I'm talking to you too. I wonder if there's a warning light that's been going off. I wonder if some of you might need to take a break from social media to take a break from the judgment and the comparison that you find there. I wonder if some of you need to sign up for a connect group because you've been doing life alone and that's a warning light and you think you're just fine. You're just fine. I don't know if I need anybody. I don't know if I want anybody. I don't know if anybody will accept me. You gotta do something about the warning light. When we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit like that, that says there's something wrong here. We get to do something about it and respond with obedience. 
So when Paul says, no, don't go on sinning, he's saying, respond to the grace that you've just been given. Respond with obedience from the heart. Paul concludes saying that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, some of you in this room may not actually know about that life yet. You may not have accepted the grace gift. You may not have said, okay, I believe. Well, I believe that today is your day to get to make that decision. So if everybody would bow their heads, and if that's you, and you've never made this decision before, or maybe you've just been running the other way and all the warning lights and all the sensors have been going off for a long time, today is your day to come back. Will you just pray this prayer with me in the quietness of your own heart? You say, Jesus, I give you my life. I come back and I accept the free gift of grace that you sent for me. I love you. Will you be the Lord of my life? Amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Please email us at info at theocmovement.com. And if you were not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Please send us an email at info at theocmovement.com. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.